Well, for the past several months, uh, we had planned to talk on God's design for money management in our life on this particular weekend. We were supposed to be week two in a series on generosity. I even wrote and studied for that message this past week. But then as I drove home late Wednesday night from Sophie Ruthann and David Reinhardt's visitation, something just didn't seem right about going from what we've all walked through and experienced this past week to then talking about finances. Now, if you're a guest with us today and you're a little bit out of the loop and don't know what's been going on, tragically, last Sunday morning, really early, we lost three members of our church, all from the same family, uh, in a car accident as they were driving back uh, from Indianapolis. And, And I just have to say that as horrible and as awful as this past week has been, I want you to know that I have been so proud of you guys and the way that you have loved on the Reinhardts and the way that you have reached out to them and the way that we have come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to know that, that you literally have shown the world what being a part of the church of Jesus Christ uh, is all about. And I also want you to know that I am so proud of our staff. Our staff has just worked tirelessly this past week to not only honor the Reinhardts, uh, but also lift high the name of Jesus in the midst of their grief. I really believe. I really believe that we have one of the best church staffs around, and it is such an honor uh, to be a part of this place. Now, if you're like me, you've just felt lost in your questions this past week, right? I mean, how in the world could a loving God who is supposedly in control of all things allow what happened last Sunday to occur? I mean, couldn't he have intervened? And the truth is there is no answer, explanation, or some cliche found on a Christian coffee mug that can make sense of anything that's happened. And yet one thing that has just helped me personally deal with my grief is realizing that what happened last Sunday wasn't a tragedy for Sophie, Ruthann, or David. No, because the Bible tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, even if they had the opportunity to come back to earth and be with us again, they wouldn't choose it because they are in a far better place. And and so understanding that has just helped soothe that pain and that hurt a little bit more. And so just a little over a day ago, I decided to totally scrap that message on finances and talk about heaven, the place where the Reinhardts are right now, in hopes that it will help us deal with some of our grief, yet yet help us also walk through life, no matter what tragedy we go through, with this hope of heaven. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And Now, you should know that because I kind of decided at the last second to go a different direction, I didn't have as much time to write and prepare for this message, all right? So just be a little bit more understanding (laughs) in that way. Now, graciously, one of my pastors growing up sent a message to me that he preached, I remember, when I was younger. And so a lot of what we're going to be talking about today was actually inspired by that message uh, that he sent me. But my prayer is that this message today will help us deal with our grief in a hopeful way, all right, yet also also will help us look forward to what's to come for all of us who claim Christ as Lord and Savior. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, the truth is we don't think about the future all that often, right? I mean, some of our perceptions about heaven is a little bit off. And if we're honest, we don't think about heaven all that much because we love life here. And and honestly, some of the pictures and images that we have of heaven seem a little bit boring, right? And so why should we think about what's, what's ahead? And, and so it just seems like it, it's something that's lesser. Why, why focus on the future when we have so much to do right here? 
And so before we imagine what heaven will be like together, here, here are just three quick reasons why it's important for us to, to focus on heaven. First reason goes like this. <clears throat> Imagining heaven reduces our attraction for this world. Now, if our primary focus is heaven, we would recognize that this world is temporary and is destined for destruction. The Bible makes that very clear. We're told in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in them. And then John says, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. That's the promise we're given. And so when our hope is heaven, we live for what's lasting and not what's temporary. This means that we don't have to get jealous when our neighbor accumulates more wealth or has more money than we do. This means we don't have to be depressed when a coworker gets the promotion and instead of you. We will be less likely to make choices that would jeopardize our marriage when our focus is on eternity and not in this life. You see, following Jesus means keeping an eternal mindset in every area of our life. Here's the second reason why it's important that we focus on heaven. That imagining heaven gives us permanent hope regardless of what happens in our life. <clears throat> now the truth is, a lot of us, we've walked in here today carrying loads of grief, shame, and just pain from our life. I mean, you keep thinking that you're going to wake up from this bad dream that you've experienced this past week. Or maybe voices from an abusive uncle keep replaying in your head over and over again. Perhaps you were recently told that your cancers come back and, and things don't look too good for you. You see, God never intended for us to live in such brokenness and darkness. In the first century, there was a church located in the ancient world of Corinth. And they were going through a really discouraging season that was full of pain. And, and so the guy who actually started this church, a guy by the name of Paul, wrote to them with the intention of encouraging them to keep their focus on eternity and not in this life. And, and so here's what he told the church in Corinth as a way to encourage them. He said this, we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. Verse 16, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly over, over outweighs them and will last forever. So Paul says, we, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we can't see, it's those things that will last forever. You see, we're promised in the Bible that one day God is going to make everything new again. Everything tragic, everything that has been so damaging and enslaving will all of a sudden become undone for us. The sting of death will be no more. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> He says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, no matter what we go through, God's given us this hope of heaven so that we can keep hanging on even when every part of us wants to let go. 
The last book in uh, his famous series, The Lord of the Rings, uh, J.R. Tolkien's book, is, the, the last book in that series is called The Return of the King. And towards the end of that story, the, the, the ring uh, is destroyed at Mount Doom. And just then, one of the main characters, a guy by the name of Sam, awakes, wakes up from this dream. And he's just surprised to see that he's still alive. And even more than just surprised that he personally is alive, he sees that Gandalf, another one of the main characters, is alive as well. And so he asks Gandalf this question. He goes to him and he says, hey, is everything sad going to become untrue? Now that question's a paradox. It doesn't seem rational. And yet because we are promised that one day Jesus is going to make all things new, that means that a day is approaching when all the suffering, pain, and agony that we've experienced, in an instant, it's going to become untrue. This past January, my dad uh, had a total heart transplant. I've told you guys that before. Before the actual procedure, he was on the list for about six years. He waited six years for a heart. And so on a Saturday afternoon, he received the call from his heart transplant team that they had found him a, a donor and a heart and that he needed to get to the hospital as quickly as possible so that they could prepare him for surgery. And so he gathered his things together. My mom rushed him to the hospital uh, to prepare for surgery. And, and it's a very risky procedure. I mean, as you can imagine, uh, the chances that he wouldn't survive the, the procedure, it was pretty good. I mean, he knew that he would potentially be facing death. And so I'll never forget the text message that my dad sent as my mom is driving him to the hospital that day, his text message simply said, hey kids, they have found me a heart. If I don't make it through the procedure, I want you to know that I still win. And that's the hope that we have in Jesus. <clears throat> the hope of heaven tells us that one day all this pain and suffering and garbage that we've gone through in this life is going to become untrue, but also as followers of Jesus that we win. Here's one last reason why we need to imagine heaven. It goes like this, that imagining heaven satisfies our desire for something more. Now, for the past three months, uh, our family, we have been a cat owner, all right? And uh, our kids just love this cat. And I got to be honest with you, I love the cat too. I mean, she is just precious. Well, we've been uh, playing this game with her recently where she goes out into the yard and she has been bringing us all these mice and moles that she finds in our backyard. And, and she's very generous. She brings them to us and puts them right on our doorstep, all right? And so we have been keeping track of how, much, uh, how many mice and moles that she brings up. Well, about two weeks ago, she brought up this really cute black mouse and it was still alive when it was squeaking in, in her mouth. And, and so being the animal lover that I am, I then suggested to my kids as we were all rallied around, let's keep this mouse as a pet. <laughs> yeah, my wife wasn't too happy with me at that moment, all right? <clears throat> and so we immediately went down to the basement. We got this cardboard box and we put the mouse in the cardboard box and the strangest thing happened. Whenever that mouse hit the bottom of the box, it started jumping up and down like it was on a trampoline. I mean, it wanted to get out of that box as quickly and as much as possible. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It's like the mouse knew it didn't belong in that cardboard box and, and it was trying to get out and eventually it, it did get out. <clears throat> still haven't been able to find it in our house. All right. <laughs> and I still haven't really told my wife what happened and out in the yard, honey, I don't know. <clears throat> 
But it was like that mouse knew it didn't belong there, right? It knew it wasn't in its natural habitat, that it had been made for something more, that it wasn't experiencing the freedom that it had beforehand. And I think in in a similar way, we're kind of like that mouse. (laughs) You see, we weren't made for the restrictions of this broken world. We know deep down intrinsically that that we've been created and made for something more. In fact, the Bible tells us that God, when he created us, has planted eternity into every human heart. Paul says it like this. Here's how he describes what it's like to, to be that mouse in a box. He says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so even if you are skeptical of this whole Jesus thing, you want nothing to do with the church and you've been running from God for a really long time, deep down you know that something isn't right within you, right? You know that that you feel a little bit like that mouse. You're groaning inwardly because something just doesn't measure up. You ever felt like you just don't have enough money? You ever been discouraged or depressed before? You ever felt as if you just don't measure up? You see, that's evidence for us that, that we were made for something more. In his book, Mere Christianity, author C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those, for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, there is such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, there is such thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, there is such thing as sex. If I find myself a desire in which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't prove that the universe is a fraud, Lewis says. Probably, he says, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. And so maybe the reason why Scripture commands us to set our hearts and minds on things above is because God knew that setting our hearts on things below, here and now, only leads to greater emptiness. But if we're honest, it's really hard to get excited about heaven because we don't really have pictures, right? I mean, God hadn't given us a YouTube channel where we can go and, you know, look at what it's going to be like when we get there. God doesn't have an Instagram account giving us a visual for what uh, heaven is going to be like. And and so it's tough for us to imagine what this is going to be like. Now, Paul told another one of his churches that the Lord actually gave him an opportunity to look into heaven. And he came back from that experience. And the only way to describe what he saw was, was by saying that, that I saw things that I can't even tell you. They're inexpressible. It's like Paul was saying, there's no word to describe what I saw in heaven. But Paul did say this. He said, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body to die here and to be home with the Lord. And so is it possible? Is it possible that God doesn't give us a lot of detail about heaven in, the, in his word? Because he knew that we would become so fascinated with what's to come that we really wouldn't be much earthly good. I mean, is it possible that, that no words could even describe it? It would be like trying to explain to a three-year-old who had never been to Hawaii what all those islands are like. You just can't, you just can't even do it justice, right? 
But I believe that God's given us an imagination for a reason. And there are different little snapshots of heaven that uh, God has given us throughout his word. And so what I want to do is just imagine heaven together of, of what heaven could be like uh, for all of us who, who are in Christ Jesus. The, the, the first attribute I want us to look at goes like this. When you think of heaven, imagine relief and healing. Heaven's a place where there's no cancer or high blood pressure. It'll be absent of autism, learning disabilities. Thank God for that. Uh, no more hate or racism. We won't experience disappointment in any way. And that's really good news for Purdue fans, all right? You won't experience disappointment. I know that's your reality, all right? Revelation 21 verse 4 says it like this, that Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You see, heaven will be a place where you will no longer be grossed out by your husband's back hair that looks more like a wool sweater than anything, all right? <laughs> Heaven's a place where there's no such thing as wrinkles, sagging body parts, and bad body odor or bad breath, all right? Not even holy halitosis, okay? I mean, have, heaven will just be absent of all that. Rick Tomlinson, who has served in our worship ministry for several years now, gets around on a little motorized cart because he has some health issues with his legs. And so heaven for him will be a place where he will be able to stand up strong on his legs. And, and when he gets to heaven and he receives those strong glorified legs and he's able to walk around, in that moment, he'll be able to turn to his scooter and tell it to go to hell, all right? <laughs> It's true, all right? Heaven's a place where there's no ace bandages. You don't need glasses, all right? You don't need any kind of medication. Rod Hoshauer, our senior adults pastor, he'll look 20 years old again, all right? Our high school pastor, Ross Langston, he won't be allowed to wear his skinny jeans. Thank God, all right? I know, I, I wanna be there now because of it. All right, I'll have a head full of hair and Todd Bussey will be given the body of a Greek God, all right? It's gonna be a great place and I can't wait to be there with you to see it. Second, second thing about heaven goes like this. When you think of heaven, imagine worship and inspiration. Now this may not sound all that appealing to you and if that's the case, then I would venture to say that, that you've probably never been lost in what God has done for you and who God really is. Revelation four, verse 10 says this, that when we get there, we're gonna fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. You see, heaven's gonna be a place it's gonna be a place where we stand in awe of the one who paid it all. The one who actually opened up heaven's gate for us. And honestly, it's tough to imagine getting so lost in the presence of Jesus Christ that, that we will actually fall to our knees. We won't even be able to stand up. And so what will it be like to hear all the angels in heaven declaring at the same exact time that, that Jesus is worthy and singing his praise and honor? The culminating moment I think for us will be whenever we're gathered together in this room and Jesus Christ walks in and you can just hear a pen drop as he walks to the front, he opens up his word and he begins teaching us some things that maybe we never understood before. Here's another thing about heaven. When you think of heaven, 
Imagine reuniting with your friends and relatives in Christ. Now, this will be certainly one of the sweeter moments when we arrive. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, the Lamb here refers to Jesus. He's the one who sacrificed His body so that we could be there to begin with. Now, I want you to notice that that all people are standing before Jesus, that, that Jesus just has this way of bringing people together, doesn't He? question I frequently get as a pastor goes like this, will, will we recognize each other in heaven? Will we know our loved ones? You know, right before Jesus died, he had this thief who was being crucified right beside him. That thief ended up repenting and confessing Christ as Lord. And so Jesus turned towards him in that moment and he said this, he said, today, today you will be with me in paradise. There's another moment in scripture where two guys Elijah and Moses, who had died years before, hundreds of years before, appeared with Jesus up on this mountainside right in front of Jesus' closest friends. And the Bible explicitly tells us that Jesus' closest friends recognized who they were. And so we will recognize loved ones. We will know each other in heaven. And so who are you most excited about seeing? Maybe David, Sophie, Ruthann. Maybe your mom or dad. Maybe your son or daughter. Perhaps you're excited about meeting your child that miscarried at such a young age that you never got to know the gender. I'm personally excited about seeing my grandpa again. I love my grandpa. I can't wait to be with him again. We all have those loved ones that we're we're anticipating to see. I'll never forget uh, at my church growing up as a young boy, there was this 92-year-old lady who was sitting beside me in church one day, and she turned to me and she said this. She said, I hope I die soon or else all my friends are going to think that I didn't make it. (laughs) And, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why the Bible talks about heaven as a place called home, Right? You see, home is a place where your relationships are. Four months ago, our family moved from Newburgh to Evansville, and I thought that whenever we were packing up our old house that I was going to miss that place, and I would go back to it frequently. But four months later, I haven't missed it yet, and I haven't even gone back. Why? Because I've learned that home isn't really about the neighborhood. The home isn't about the physical structure of the house. No, a home is where relationships are. And so I think that one day when we get to heaven, we will look back and realize that we don't really miss this dump of a place that we've called home for so long, right? It'll be a place where our relationships are developed and where our relationships are. It'll be a place where loved ones are. Now here's something else for us to consider. When you think of heaven, imagine rewards and honor. Now I'm not saying that we will earn our way to heaven. That's impossible, all right? No priest no giving can, can qualify us for heaven. We can't earn our way there. But the Bible tells us that we're saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to make us deserving of salvation. But Jesus did say in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, for the Son of Man, referring to himself, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Heaven is not going to be a place of bland equality. Some will be rewarded and praised more than ever. And I know that a culture that is so obsessed with making everybody a winner, all right, this may be a letdown for some of us. 
But you see, heaven will be a place where the Lord is going to honor some pastors who have it far more difficult than I do will be rewarded more than me who's had it pretty easy so far in life. Heaven will be a place where Carol Ann Lukens of our church, who faithfully cared for and served her husband earlier this year who died of leukemia, she will be rewarded more than, say, the, the wife who has a healthy husband and yet is taking advantage of him. Heaven will be a place where the individual who is consistently given 10, 15% of his or her income away will be rewarded more than the person who just gives God a tip here and there. Why? Because the Bible tells us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And so this is really a challenge for us to invest into eternity by thinking about what's to come in every area of our life. We can make deposits here and now for what's to come. Here's the fifth thing I want us to imagine. It goes like this. That when you think of heaven, imagine study and learning. Now, just because we're going to be in heaven doesn't mean that we're going to know all things. All right? That's just not true. Ephesians chapter 2, 6 through 7 says this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Now, that word show in the original Greek language means to reveal in an ongoing or progressive way. The Bible also tells us that as humanity, we've been created below the angels in heaven. That angels are above us. Now, the angels do not know everything. They are not equal to God, yet they know more than we do, yet they don't know everything. And so if they have existed much longer than we have and they're higher than us, then that means that when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot for us to learn, right? And so what's one of the first questions that you want to ask God when you get there? Lord, can you explain to me how you created the universe from nothing to something? I mean, how long did that take? God, why did you choose to intervene at certain moments in history and, and yet allow certain things to happen? I mean, I'd like to know why God created Lucifer the angel, knowing full well that he would rebel and become Satan in time. Lord, why didn't you stop Hitler sooner? Here's something else. Number six, when you think about heaven, imagine beauty and travel. Heaven is described in Scripture as this massive city, all right? Don't think Henderson, Kentucky, all right? Revelation 21 tells us that it's about a 1,500-mile cube. And if this were placed on our continent, all right, it would stretch from Canada to Mexico, from the Appalachian Mountains to California. And we're told that there are gates on either side that stand wide open. And so this indicates that there is freedom for people to constantly come and go in total safety, that exploration will be encouraged. There will be lots to see and experience. And so think about this. Would a good God really create the universe so that only a select few could look through a telescope and imagine another planet and galaxy thousands of light years away? I mean, what if heaven is that place where, where we could explore the vastness of the universe? Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And if that's the case, then you know what that means? That means that the Grand Canyon, the Rocky Mountains, Garden of the Gods, Niagara Falls, the Alps, Sea of Galilee. It's just a sneak preview of what's, of what's to come. The Bible speaks of water, trees, fruit, light, and animals, including horses, lambs, and harmless wolves, and tame lions in heaven. Think of heaven like when you go snorkeling. You ever been snorkeling before by show fans? Anybody? 
Yeah, well, before you put on your goggles, you look and the water surface is just smooth. There's nothing much to it. But then once you put on all your snorkeling gear and you go beneath the water surface, all of a sudden there's a whole new world that opens up to you, right? You see colorful fish. You see coral reefs and plants down below. And so just imagine this unseen world that we are going to experience whenever we put those goggles on when we get to heaven. Number seven, when you think of heaven, imagine lots of joy and laughter. Now, this is why Jesus told the religious leaders during the first century that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent whatsoever. Jesus tells us that whenever we get to heaven for the very first time, the first thing that we're going to be told is to enter, if we have been saved and have trusted Jesus in this life, to enter into our master's happiness, Jesus says. And so imagine what that's going to be like. John chapter, um, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus said this, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are weak now, for you will laugh. I don't know about you, but there is nothing that I love to do more than laugh. And I got to be honest, sometimes my love for humor and laughter gets me in trouble. All right. If you haven't figured that out by now. But I take a lot of comfort knowing that heaven's a place where we laugh and there's not going to be a timeout chair for me. All right. I mean, I'm really excited about that. I mean, have you ever been in one part of your house and you hear somebody in the other room just laughing and just, just cracking up hysterically? Well, what do you do when you hear that? Well, if you're nosy like me. You stand up out of your chair, the couch, you go into the other room and you ask what's going on. You want to know why they are laughing. You see, laughter's contagious, right? And so we can say for certain that, that heaven will be a place where there's a lot of laughter in heaven. Sometimes people wonder if their pets will be in heaven. And Jesus said that, that heaven's a place where he's going to make all things new, Right? For this reason, author Randy Alcorn said that the promise, that this promise of Jesus could be translated like this, that I will take everything that I made the first time, including people, animals, and the earth, and I will bring it back as fresh, new, and indestructible. A professor of mine said it like this in seminary, that if it won't be heaven for you unless your beloved little doggy or cat is there with you, then I'm sure God will make sure that your pet will be there. For me personally, I'm excited about seeing my golden retriever of 14 years when I was a boy, again. I love that dog. You see, if anything, my golden retrievers have taught me about the unconditional love and loyalty of the one who made them. And so I, th I think your pet will be there. Here's another thing about heaven. It goes like this. When you think of heaven, imagine activities and adventure. I mean, what if the first day in heaven is like that moment you walk into Disney World or Holiday World and you're just overwhelmed by all there is to do and your kids are with you, are with you. you don't even know where to start. Could this be why Jesus said in John chapter 14 that heaven is a place with many rooms? I've often wondered, what are those rooms going to be about? What are in those rooms? Well, there's no doubt that one of those rooms is probably the dining room. The Bible tells us that one of the first things we will do when we get to heaven is we are going to enjoy a feast together. And this won't just be like going to Applebee's, all right? It says that there will be choice meat and fine wine there. You see, heaven is a place where we don't have to worry about fat grams, all right? We don't have to worry about carbs or gluten. You won't care if it was cage-free, full of hormones or any of that other garbage that some of you believe, all right? <laughs> Sorry, all right? Don't email me, all right? 
I don't care, okay? <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> Perhaps there's a replay room where you can go and see any moment in history exactly the way that it happened. What would it be like to replay the life of Jesus just as it happened? And what would it be like to go back and see your life, maybe from God's perspective, and realize all the moments that he stepped in, protected you, and intervened? Or, or what about going back and experiencing the night that your team won the championship or the World Series and, and just feeling what you felt in that moment all over again? Maybe another room is, is a hobby and recreation room where you can learn to fly, go snow skiing, fishing, and, and play golf courses that would make Victoria National look like a public par three course. <laughs> And if this sounds all too good to be true for you, then let me tell you that, that it is. And if you think, man, I, I don't deserve to be there, then I would say you're exactly right. Because you see, the Bible tells us that we've all sinned, that we've all disconnected ourselves from a right relationship with God because we wanted to do our own thing. We wanted to go on our own way. But God... God couldn't stand the thought of having heaven without you in it. And so this is why Colossians chapter 1 says this. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. And so know that the offer before you today is to no longer fear death. And Jesus said that he is the resurrection and the life that he who believes in him, though he dies, will live yet again. One question that I often get as a pastor goes like this as well, that what will it be like when I die? What will I experience? And, and the truth is, this is something that a lot of us fear. I mean, we just, we resist death because we don't know what that's going to be like. And so let me just answer that question for you by telling, by telling you what my three-year-old daughter Vera has been doing recently. Every night I'll go upstairs and I'll put her to bed and I'll tell her a story and I'll cover her up, tuck her in, and then I'll go back downstairs. And about five minutes later, I can count on Vera screaming and crying because she's just scared of the dark. And, and so I'll then walk back up the stairs and I'll turn her nightlight on and I'll tell her that there's nothing to be afraid of. Daddy's downstairs, he's gonna protect you. But then when I put the nightlight on, a couple of minutes later, I see her, hear her crying and screaming again. She's afraid of the shadows that she sees on the ceiling and on the wall. And, and so I'll go up there and I'll say, Vera, there, there's nothing to be scared of. You see, that's just, that, that's a reflection from your bed rails or that's from your desk over there. And then I'll wave my hand over the light and she'll see my hand being the shadow on the wall. And, and you see, it, it, might, it might make her feel better for a moment. But every now and then she, she, just, she just can't feel at peace. And, and so she's still scared and she screams and cries. And so I'll try to let her scream and cry it out for a little bit. But then I'll go upstairs and she'll ask me, Daddy, can I just fall asleep in your bed? And so I'll pick her up and I'll take her down to our bed. I'll let her lay on my side and I'll begin playing with her hair. I'll scratch her back and I'll just whisper, Daddy loves you. And you see, within a few moments, she's falling asleep. The next thing Vera knows is that she wakes up in her bed with the sunlight shining through her windows. And you see, that which she feared the most, she never really experienced. And when she wakes up, she's excited about the day before her. She springs out of her bed and she's excited about what's to come. 
And you see, she doesn't really have to fear anything because the entire time she was in daddy's house, she was in daddy's arms, and what she was so scared of, it, it really wasn't all that rational. And again, I think that's what it's like to die. We fall asleep in the Father's arms. And the next thing we know, we awake in his house with the light of his love shining through. And in that moment, we will awake and we will be so excited about eternity together. And so I don't think there's any better way today to end by simply asking, will you be there? Have you secured your place in heaven because if you've come in here and you think, you know what, I, I don't know. I, the reality is I've done, some pretty, I've done some pretty bad stuff. You see, the offer of Jesus is this, that regardless of your past, the Bible tells us that God has demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, he died for us, absorbing the blow of death in our place so that we wouldn't have to fear what's ahead. You see, Jesus has secured your eternity for you. The question is, do you receive it? So if that's a decision that you want to make today, then... In just a moment, I'm going to pray. I can't pray for you, all right? But a really good place to start would be for you to make my words a conversation between you and God. And then after service, I'm going to ask that you walk forward, all right, and meet with some of our pastors and section hosts up front here. And we would love to walk alongside you and show you what following Jesus in this life really looks like and how you today can secure your place in heaven for all of eternity. And so I'm going to pray. We're going to sing one more worship song. All right, and then if you have a decision to make, you meet us up front after we're dismissed here in just a moment. Make this your prayer, and then you meet us up front. Let's pray, and then we'll continue worshiping together. God, you are, you are not absent from suffering yourself. You've experienced it firsthand. I've got to look at my own life and realize that the evil and brokenness and darkness in the world that exists out there also, <clears throat> it also exists within me. And God, because of my sin, because of my brokenness, I've disconnected myself from a right relationship with you. Therefore, it's only by your grace, it's only by what you, Jesus, did in our place that we can have a secured spot in heaven with you for all of eternity. We don't have to get what we deserve because you, Jesus, already absorbed it for us when you died on the cross. But then three days later, when you rose back to life, in a way, if we accept this deal that you offer, we walked out of that empty tomb with you and we don't have to fear death. And so we thank you for that. And we love you and we ask that you continue to comfort us in our grief and in our darkness and that you would assure us that a day is quickly approaching when everything sad will become untrue and that we will win. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.